0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Be and we are live. Welcome to episode four of the Bitcoin Breakout. And it is also at the same time, episode what? 3113 of the Survival Podcast. Uh quick announcement uh about this week. This week, we were supposed to have two episodes of Bitcoin Breakout, and uh, we were supposed to have Natalie Brunel on this week. And she's had a scheduling conflict, and she's reached out, and she got out way in advance, not the day of, like some other guests do. And so we've had to reschedule her. So we're probably just going to have one episode this week, which is just fine. Uh, sooner or later, we'll get into a regular rhythm where we'll have one day a week of Bitcoin Breakout on the Survival podcast both as a standalone on its own feed and as a production of or edition of The Survival Podcast. We'll deal with this uh, uh, brand bipolarism for just a little bit longer here. Anyway, on that, uh, thanks for joining us today, those of you that are uh, hanging out with us on the live feeds it's a bit later in the day than typical but i see the numbers starting to go up as i talk so you guys are coming in remember when you uh join in on a video like this if you have questions or things you want me to comment on please put them in all caps i'm going to work really hard to not respond to people on the fly because what it does is it derails me and then makes the whole thing take longer and it would be much easier to come back to you at the end so all caps would be best for that. All right. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the Lightning Network in my four-part fundamentals series. And so I wanted to have something for this new endeavor, Bitcoin Breakout, that would help people that are brand new come to a relative fundamental understanding of Bitcoin, money itself, uh, how Bitcoin works, why it works the way that it does, why it's been so successful uh, over the time that it's been here, why it remains the number one Crypto asset, even though there's people that say it's Bitcoin, not cryptocurrency. I know what they mean, but it is it is the king, and and why that's the case. How to buy it, uh, how to hold it uh, securely, how to do your backup phrases, all that we've, we've covered all that. But what we're going to talk about today, in the fourth in the four part uh, of initial fundamental series, is what's known as the Lightning Network, and Lightning is, in my opinion, anyway, the most exciting technology being developed. In the world today. And I know you might be like, Jack, they're doing stuff to like cure cancer and, and, and enhance longevity and what have you. When we talk about lightning, we're talking about changing the way the world uses money. The entire world uses money in a way that will be in, in not much time at all, one that is of maximum participancy, meaning that anybody with a cell phone that can run apps, we'll be able to participate. In some ways, that's already true. But at the level that we're talking here, we're talking about a completely different level. Right now, there's a lot of things that kind of have to be pulled and pieced together from various areas. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about running your own node today, but I'm going to try to keep this one very, very basic so that people just have the relative understanding of what it is, what it does now, what it can do now, but it's just not really being used for that yet the things that are being developed for it and why this all matters and why this is one of these things that you just can't ignore. I've been doing the survival podcast for those that are new to me for 14 years as of the 20th of June. That was our 20th anniversary. And I have been talking about Bitcoin at some significant level since at least 2013. That's a long time. And I've had a lot of pushback. I've had a lot of people in the audience that say, hey, this is a scam. This is a new world order coin. It's all a gimmick. It's vaporware, all types of bullshit. I heard that when Bitcoin was $175. I heard it when it was $350. I heard it when it was $500. I heard it when it was $1,200. I heard it when it was $3,000. I heard it you understand this, right? Like I've been hearing this forever and I won't let it go and I won't stop teaching you about it. I said recently to somebody in the comments and I was like, I don't want to be mean or anything, but the only thing that you have done by ignoring my advice on Bitcoin for the last eight years is prevent yourself from becoming a millionaire. And that's reality. There's not a single person in my audience who has been around that long, who couldn't have had a net worth of a million plus dollars by now with a very small ongoing investment through dollar cost averaging which is what I've always recommended for people to do so to me Bitcoin can't be ignored but lightning makes Bitcoin even more than it's than we ever even really thought that it could be and, and so I want to explain it today and I want to start off with what is Litecoin I'm sorry Lite, let's start off with that it's not Litecoin right I was just thinking like what is lightning it is not Litecoin and it's not lightning coin. Those, those things are not there. Those things don't, well, Litecoin exists, but those two things don't go together. And there might be some who I, whoever knows some, but he made a rolled up a token or some shit and called it Lightning Coin. But Lightning Network is what you would call a layer two solution for Bitcoin. And all that means is you have Bitcoin core, Bitcoin the asset and Bitcoin its main network that, that's been around since it was first genesis. By Satoshi Nakamoto, the infamous and anonymous developer of the original concept of Bitcoin. And then you have what you call layer solutions. So there's actually not only one layered solution. If we look at something like liquid networks, we won't get into that today. That's another layer two solution for uh, Bitcoin. So what does that mean by layer? What it means is you have your underlying technology, your layer one, your original and then you layer another network on top of it that leverages the first network to do things in the second. And before I even explain what it is, I want to explain why this is a good thing. Bitcoin, according to the, the, the guy that created it, right? This is what, this is what Satoshi said about Bitcoin all the way back in 2010. The nature of Bitcoin is such that once version 0.1 was released, the core design was set in stone. For the rest of its lifetime. Now, why would you want that? Let's let's talk about something that people generally understand about Bitcoin really well if they know anything at all about it anyway. 21 million units. There's 21 million coins, and there will never well there is 18 million, 18 and a half million, something like that right now, but there will never be more than 21 million. That is a form of monetary policy. And Another way to think of the monetary policy that is Bitcoin and other cryptos, to be fair, is what you would call a cap and fractionalize. In other words, instead of, well, we need more units of money, so let's print more dollars or more real or more yuan or more yen or more renembi, right? Instead of any of that, we'll just make smaller, smaller units. Now, the problem of doing that with something like a dollar is how many units can you really cut a dollar into? So we need more money. Let's not worry about inflation or anything. Just we do need more units for whatever reason. At one time in this country, we had a thing called a half cent. So that was cutting a dollar down into 200 units. But can you see cutting a dollar into a thousand units, a thousandth of a dollar, or a billion units? So with Bitcoin being fractional out to eight decimal points, for the foreseeable future, it takes a long damn time before we get a Satoshi being worth a penny in US dollar value. At that point, by the way, Bitcoin would be valued at $1 million. And we can make a fraction of a fraction. We can go, it's digital. There's no real theoretical limit as to how small an individual unit can be. Right now we call the smallest unit a Satoshi. So we could have a fraction of a Satoshi. A, a, a Satoshi someday could be, I mean, God bless it if it happened, right? Let's say a Satoshi became worth a dollar. Well, we could have a hundredth of a Satoshi become the smallest unit. It's just software. There can be as many digits as you want out there. But the, the concept of there will never be more than 21 million full Bitcoins is a monetary policy. And that is hard coded into the system. It's almost, oh, I'm going to I was going to say it's impossible. I'm going to say it's almost impossible to change. Sure, if you can get enough people to go along with it that run validating nodes and mining nodes, I guess in theory you could. But it's very difficult to make a change on Bitcoin. This is good. This means that when I buy Bitcoin, I know what I'm getting. That's, that's what it means. It means that no one is going to monkey around with, no one is going to change the monetary policy. And even a lot of the technical things that Bitcoin does, like a block size, how, how big is a block, etc. Bitcoin blocks are small. And that is intentional so that anybody anywhere can run a validating node that goes all the way back to the Genesis block. And we know exactly what we're dealing with. That was part of the whole block wars with the Bitcoin trash people and what have you. And that's the real Bitcoin. No, the real Bitcoin was set in stone. And again, you have the quote from Satoshi back in 2010 for its lifetime. And what Satoshi left us to manage that was governance, not government, governance by consensus. You have to get more than half of the validating nodes to accept a change to make a change doable. This is conservative, not the way your TV talks about it. In the in the traditional meaning of the word, it is a very conservative system. It takes a tremendous amount of work to create a change in it. If you think about the way the United States was founded, the United States was founded in a very conservative manner. Senators were appointed by state legislatures for a period of six years. You needed two thirds of the states to amend the constitution, etc. It took a lot of work to change something. Hence, we used to say something was as hard to get done as an act of congress that 's where the concept came up came came with but it 's technology now in the world of technology, you want to be innovative you want to be able to move quickly you want to be able to move swiftly you want to you want to be able to move at the speed of light. You want to be able to try new things. You want it to be able to say, hey, but what if we did this? How about a smart contract over here? What if we did this? How can we make all these things go together? By locking down core and saying, we're not really going to mess with this, right? If we mess with it at all, it'll be so that it can reach out and do things on these other layers, but the core itself will stay the same. We keep that conservative nature. In other words, we're trying in some ways to create digital gold. Now look, I know people use that term the wrong way, especially in criticism very, very often. But what they, what people mean when they say that is it's inalterable. Do whatever you want to gold. I give you a bar of gold. You can beat it with a hammer. You can heat it up. You can melt it down. You can re, you can mix other metals in it. But in the end, the same amount of gold is there. If it was an ounce bar and you mix it with lead, there's still an ounce of gold. Now it's just mixed in with the lead. It needs to be refined again, but you can't you can't change its nature. There's a fixed supply. It takes a lot of work to get, and you can't change its nature. So if we took gold, and there's a lot of people that want to bring gold back as a way to run a monetary system in the, in the, in the world. Okay, great. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? And the answer is it's impractical. And it's part, it's not the only reason, but it's part of why it stopped being used that way. Because we would need third party banking systems to create paper representations of gold, which we would have to trust them when they say for every one of these units, there's X amount of gold. We'd have to trust that. And we, I don't trust it. I don't think most people do trust it with Bitcoin being audible, meaning the auditable, meaning anybody can look at the ledger and see everything, right? Not who, but what, when, what, how. And audit every freaking transaction all the way back to again that first trans the first Genesis block. We know what it is. And so now, as we're beginning to build out real um real layered solutions, if somebody screws something up, can you lose your Bitcoin on it? Sure you can. Now the stuff we have right now, unless you do something really dumb, it's probably not gonna happen. But it's it's totally the case that somebody could build some layer of technology, layer three, layer four, who knows? No limit how many layers you can build in a technology, and somebody could get involved with it, just like people get involved with leverage. So they borrow against their Bitcoin to buy other shit to get you know interest rates or whatever, and they can lose their Bitcoin. But what happens to Bitcoin when Joe puts his life savings into Bitcoin, he has five Bitcoins, and he gets liquidated, and he has no more money. All his money's gone. The trading platform collapsed underneath him, stole his Bitcoin, whatever. What happens to Bitcoin? Nothing happens to Bitcoin. Now, if that event is big enough, if it ends up causing billions and billions of billions and billions of dollars in Bitcoin to be sold to cover the liquidation, it can affect price. But it doesn't affect Bitcoin. That's how you should think about layered solutions like Lightning. They are protective in that they allow for innovation without changing the underlying asset at all, which I think is pretty cool. What is lightning then? Lightning Network, the easiest way I can describe it would be like if you go to a bar and you go up to the bartender and the bartender says, how do you want to pay tonight, sir? And you say, I want to pay in cash settlement. And he says, "Okay, we take cash. And you, well, you say, you say and he says, well, what do you want? I want a glass of wine for my, my wife, and I want an old-fashioned for me. And he says that's $16. You can pull out a $20 bill. You hand him a $20 bill, he gives you 4 bucks back, maybe you throw him a tip. Maybe he made a great old-fashioned. It gets tedious, though, doesn't it? If you're going to be there for three or four hours, maybe have a couple rounds of drinks, maybe pick some up for a buddy that's coming to meet you later, or another couple, or what have you, or going to order some food, or who knows what. So what will often happen, even if you want a cash settlement at the end of the night, you say, well, I want it. Can you open a tab? And the bartender says, sure. I don't know you. You've never been here before. My boss will fire me or I'll have to pay for it. So you have a credit or a debit card and you will give him a credit or a debit card. You say, I do want to settle in cash. And he says, no problem. So he'll open up basically an account with your card collateralizing the account. And at the end of the night, you go up. And he says, well, you owe me $128.50. And you either pull out, say, 150 bucks, and figure out what portion of that's tip in cash, and you throw it down on the bar, and you settle up. Or you say, you know what, go ahead and put it on the card. And you settle it up there. And one way or another, at the end of the night, the bill between you and the bartender is settled. That is In many ways, how lightning works, except you can leave that tab open for longer if you want to. And you can basically use somebody else's infrastructure to do this if you don't want to run your own node. Now, there's a lot that goes into this. If you want to run your I get questions all the time about running your own node. I'm not going to go into that today because. This will end up being a a two-and-a-half-hour episode, and I really don't even know exactly what to tell you perfectly on this yet. I'm still learning about this stuff myself. I'm playing around with a node on voltage. I'm playing around with a node on start nine. But I really have not the guy to advise you on how to run your own node yet. But you don't have to run a node to use Lightning. And I want you to think about it this way when people say, but then you could lose your Bitcoin. You could lose all your Bitcoin if you put all your Bitcoin into anything that is custodial, meaning someone else has control of it, you are stupid. Unless you only have 50 bucks worth, because you're just playing with it. But if you have, let's say, 40000 dollars worth of Bitcoin, or a lot more than that, then the amount of Bitcoin that you would put into services that I'll tell you about today, like Breeze, like using Exodus to move some Bitcoin into Lightning form, like Wallet of Satoshi, etc. Like the tip bot that's available until any of that stuff. You're talking a few hundred bucks at most. So when you walked into that bar, you came to Jack's bar and you said, I'm going to pay cash tonight. You probably had to go get that cash. Now either you put your paycheck in the bank and you got cash back or you went by a magical ATM machine that charged you a fee or you had some cash at home in a lockbox and you opened your lockbox and you pulled it out. You didn't take all your money with you. You would take few hundred bucks, maybe 500 bucks. Whatever your risk threshold was to walk around with paper could be lost, stolen or misplaced. That would be as much as you would have. And if you went and you did this for like a weekend, when you got home, you'd probably put that cash back into some higher level of custodian self-custodianship back in the lockbox. So maybe you go on vacation for 10 days. And you want to have cash with you in case shit goes wrong on vacation. Your credit cards don't work or something. Maybe you take a thousand bucks. Maybe you, while you're on vacation, you spend 300. What do you do when you get home? You put the 700 back in the lockbox. This is how I view using lightning. If you don't keep a tremendous amount of money in it, then there's nothing really at risk. If you wouldn't carry it in cash, don't put it on lightning unless you know what you're doing and you're running your own note. Really, really simple. And the beauty is it's so easy to move back and forth between the two, and it's so inexpensive and so fast. There's no reason to put significant amount of money at risk on Lightning. Now, I think we're going to get into situations over time where people will be comfortable, for good reason, withholding more money in the form of Lightning, even if they don't own their own node, or will be get comfortable enough running a node to be comfortable holding a significant amount on their nodes. All right. But that's, that's what lightning is. It's basically a settlement layer. And what it allows is incredibly fast. I'm talking seconds. It, it, you send a lightning pay. This is why I, I really encourage you to try this. We'll talk about some different wallets, but you know, get on Exodus, put 50 bucks worth of, of Bitcoin into lightning, get wallet of Satoshi. And after the, when, understand this, when you say, I want to move Bitcoin from on chain to lightning, That is a Bitcoin transaction at that point. And it takes as long as any Bitcoin transaction. So maybe it takes 10 minutes, right? And it has to be confirmed. And then all of a sudden, you have this magic lightning form of Bitcoin at your disposal. So that transaction happens. It's done. Now you look in the lightning option on Exodus, and there is lightning. Download Wallet of Satoshi. Generate an invoice. 10 bucks. Send yourself $10. Just watch it happen. And as soon as you do that, you're like, oh, I get this now. Now, notice, I didn't say send me money. I, I have a website called tiplightning.com, T-I-P-L-I-G-H-T-N-I-N-G, tiplightning.com. I talk about how to do all this on there, and I do take tips. And if you want to send me something for my content, God bless you, and there's other ways to do it too, and thank you for it. But I'm not telling you to do that right now. I'm telling you to send yourself $10 and send it back. And and when you send it back and you realize that you're out like a penny or two at the most, you're like, oh, oh, now I understand this. Then download something like the Breeze Wallet. And we're going to talk about these wallets here in a second. Start figuring out what you can do with that. And it's more than just stream tips to me or value to value. There's lots of things you can do with it. We'll get to in a minute. But learn how it works. Empower yourself with this. Um, On running your own node. Real real brief on that today so that I don't get too deep into it. The pros of running your own Lightning node is you're in total control of your currency, even when it's in Lightning form. And yes, you can make a little bit of money. The cons are it, it takes some effort and some work and balancing your equities. And, and I, I want to get into this, but you have to have equity on the inbound and outbound side of your node. And each time there's a transaction move through your node, it kind of moves the equity from one side to the other so you need, so generally what people need is enough inbound to keep some on the backside and, and, and some, enough outbound to keep some on the inbound side. Like it's like, it's like, you know, when you're a kid and they had that kind of perpetual motion type thing with the marbles that would go back and forth and you pick one marble up and you drop it and the other marble moves on the other side. It goes back and forth. It's kind of like that. You pick up two and it's like being, and the two go back and forth and the center one stays. You pick up three and it takes one with it on the other side. It's not the same. But it's kind of like that. If you're if you're not running your own node, if you're just using services that use Lightning, none of this freaking matters. None of this matters at all to you. But if you want to run your own node, that's the con. You've got to learn how to do this. You, and you have to learn about things like you open a channel specifically to another node operator. Now, there's some real advantages into not doing this. When people say Lightning is very anonymous, it is. And it is difficult to figure out who owns a node or who, or, or, who operates the node. But what's really hard is to figure out, well, who transacted through it when it's not their node? That's very The node operator doesn't really know, let alone somebody looking at the network from the outside. And then it's how many nodes did it go through. And the Lightning Network uses something called onion routing. Now, if you've heard of the Tor browser, that's onion, right? So what does onion mean in this situation? Onion means that there are layers overlaying the transaction. And, they have to, and the onion has to be peeled encourage you to get down to the actual truth, the thing that's really happening. But each time the onion is handed off, it's rewrapped. So even the node operator doesn't really know, well, am I early in this handoff or am I late? In the, Am I the last before the last? The only people that know that they're first and last are the very first node to receive from the outside and then the last node to deliver back into the chain. Otherwise, they have no idea where they are in, in all of this. So it's a very private way to do things, and more privacy is coming to it. Um, one thing I want to talk about before we get into this on a deeper level about what it really means to society and why, even if you don't ever run a lightning node, if you don't really care about lightning as a thing for yourself, you're probably going to end up using it and you may end up using it and not know it. In fact, you may end up using it almost every day and not know it. So there's a lot of technical protocols that go into something like browsing a website like TCP IP or sending an email or logging into a private website with HTTPS. There's a lot of protocols that you use every single day. Most people use them. They take them for granted, and they don't have any idea that they've done it. So when you log, like if you're watching this on YouTube, if you logged into your YouTube account because you logged out of it today, you didn't think about any of the technical protocols or any of the technology that you used to access your account, nor are you thinking about the compression technology that's being used to make this video go across the tubes of the internet, man, and get delivered to you in real time where you can watch it and hear it and see it. And you're not thinking about the protocols of technology that are being used. If you're in live chat right now and you're on YouTube or you're on Twitch, and you're like, Jack, you're a jerk because you're a jerk, man. I hate you. You're a jerk. Send. And I see it. And then, you know, Tom, Tom's here and he said, howdy. Like, and then I click on Tom's comment and it shows up in my video and you can see a little picture from Tom's account on YouTube and his comment there. Nobody thinks about this. They just use it. We're progressing to this point with Bitcoin and Lightning. Now, here's where it really matters. This is the intrinsic thing you have to understand to get how important this is going forward from here this point. Bitcoin itself, we're off lightning now, just Bitcoin, the native asset, is what you would call a bearer asset, a bearer asset. Now, let's talk about what a bearer bond was before they got rid of them. Countries, different entities would issue these things called bearer bonds, and they would have, there would be a bond with an interest rate. That interest rate could be pretty small, could be pretty big. Generally, they were pretty small. And they were pretty small because the instrument allowed you to do something really cool. That was to transact with other individuals with no chain of custody. But yet the instrument could be taken to the issuing authority at the end at any time by anybody with no identification, no anything, and say, hey, please to give me my $10,000 plus interest. Thank you. And they say, well, who are you? None of your business. I have the instrument. You have made an obligation to yourself to tender to me the consideration. I am now handing the instrument to you as its bearer, and therefore I get the compensation. And one of the most famous entities that ever issued these, and one of the last to cease, and I'm not even sure they completely ceased yet, was the Vatican. These have been illegal in the United States since the early 1900s or late 1800s, because my mafia, my drug trafficking, my money laundering, ma, 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 ma right? But those are bearer instruments. And, you know, the U.S. dollar is basically a bearer instrument because it is worth a dollar. And with the legal tender laws, if I go to a place and they say they sell a thing for X amount of dollars, they have to take it. Now, you don't have to take dollars. But if you price something in dollars, then that instrument works. You have to tender to me the consideration on the other side of the contract that was created when you price the item and put it in the window. Or if I go eat food at your restaurant and your menu says you take dollars at the end of the meal, when I go to pay you in dollars, you can't say I want American Express. Right. Even though that is denominated in dollars, you can't say, hey, I want I want. I want uh, the French. The, I want French francs from the French franc system that still exists in Africa. You have to take the dollars because you price it in dollars. So the dollar then functions as a bearer instrument. Bitcoin is a bearer instrument in that a bitcoin is a bitcoin is a bitcoin. A quarter of a bitcoin is a quarter of a bitcoin. A point one of a bitcoin or a point zero one of a bitcoin is worth whatever the market says it's worth at t- any time, but it can be exchanged. In just about, not every country, but almost every country in the world on demand. And even if it's not being funged into, um, dollars, true, like US dollars in our banking system, it can be exchanged into something called a stable coin that functions as a dollar, or it can be exchanged into euros, or it can be sh- exchanged into great British pounds. It is a bearer instrument, but is the first bearer instrument we've ever had that moves at the speed of light across across national borders with no interruptions. Now, because of that, because of that, we can use Bitcoin in lightning form to move dollars. And this is where I'm going to get a bunch of shit from people because, man, we're supposed to be ending the Fed with this. You know, maybe the Fed ends because of this, but not in the next 10 years. Most of you earn the majority of your income in dollars and pay the majority of your bills in dollars. Some of the most maximalist Bitcoiners, you know, live by the credo, never spend your Bitcoin. And I think when it moves into your stack, I agree with that. Hold, 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 hodl, 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 hodl right? But in the end, we should transact in Bitcoin where and as we can. And this idea that we can move dollars with Bitcoin is also that we can use dollars to, to, to pay with Bitcoin. So I showed you guys recently how I can use my Strike app, deposit 50 bucks in it, send myself $50 worth of Bitcoin without ever buying Bitcoin. That's pretty cool. But what's even more cool is that on that open payments network, because it's not just Strike, like Cash App uses this too, There's Spotify now has integration with this not Spotify, Shopify, I'm sorry. I can send dollars and it can be converted into Bitcoin lightning form. Go across a lightning network, convert back to dollars on the other side and be delivered to a person. Now you might think, well, why would you want to do that? If you own a business, all I have to say is 3%. You know why you would do it. Because I don't want to pay 3% to PayPal or Strike or American Express or whoever. MasterCard. Asshole card, whatever, whoever it is, whatever merchant account service I'm using, I don't want to pay them 3%. And I can also say another term that many of you that use these types of services will understand that the consumer won't about 72 hours. So you get instant settlement with a bearer instrument on the other side of the transaction, meaning when you spend five bucks with me to buy a coffee at Jack's coffee house, that $5 is now mine. I have it. It's done. It's settled. It's over. It is the same as if you walked in and handed me cash. It's just in a different form. But it's in dollars. Now, you think, well, Jack, when I when I use my PayPal debit card with a MasterCard logo on it to buy $5 worth of coffee from you, isn't that the way it works? No. Final settlement's about 72 hours on the back end. Now, pay. if I have a good reputation with PayPal, they may let me spend it. Out of PayPal, maybe. It's also leveraged through that payments network. It also comes with a 3% charge. But if I say I want to put it in my bank, turn it into dollars and have it, it will take somewhere between 48 and 72 hours. Assuming I did it on Monday. What happens if I do it on a Friday after COB? Any chance of it ending up there earlier is gone until the bank opens back up, right? During bank transaction hours. But if I take the transaction in dollars across Bitcoin Lightning Network at midnight on Christmas Eve, I have the money and I didn't pay the 3%. You could be using strike and pay nothing. You could be using some other payment networks that exist now and maybe paying a half a point instead of three points. It all depends. Now when you start understanding that, you realize that it's actually a bigger deal that we can move dollars with the Lightning Network than we can move Bitcoin with the Lightning Network for now. Because no matter how much you and I want people to adopt Bitcoin, many people for the foreseeable future will not. Many of the people you do business with on the other side of your transactions will not. Even if you would be willing to go to a 100% Bitcoin standard today, you will have to use dollars to buy shit from Amazon or Walmart or whoever. Your neighbor who wants to sell you half of a beef cow may or may not take Bitcoin, but you will be able to use Bitcoin technology to give him dollars and do it instantly. And he won't even know you're doing it. It's what you're doing right now. When you use uh, Cash App, that's how Cash App works. So if you're like, I don't use Bitcoin, you use Cash App, you're using Bitcoin already. When you and your buddy, he says, I want 500 bucks for a quarter beef. And you say, I'll send it to you with Cash App. It's going across lightning already. Or if you strike and you go strike, it's going across Bitcoin already. That's how it works. But especially when you're going to enter networks using open payment networks, you go and you scan a QR code, depending on how that's being funded, where that money's coming from and how it's being received. There's a good chance already that some of the transactions that are occurring, you're using Bitcoin, even if you're one of the people that only shows up in these live feeds, to heckle me because you hate Bitcoin. And I don't know why you tune into my Bitcoin con- comment, content. And that is only going to progress to be more because I want you to, again, think about this just like a CEO. I come to you and I say, "Mr. CEO, how much business do you do in a month?" And you say, "We're a $12 million a year company, roughly so a million dollars a month. What percentage of your transactions are paid for with credit cards, debit cards, etc?" And you say, "Almost 100%." And if I say, and I say, well, "So that's 3% of a million dollars." That's a lot of money, isn't it? How would you like for that fee to go to zero? Or how would you like me to cut it by 95% for you? And you have all that money to hire another employee or expand your operations or whatever. What are you going to do if it's legal and if it works? Well, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Why would, In fact, if you won't do that, you hate money and your competitor will and they will immediately have a competitive advantage against you. So you can hate Bitcoin or you can love Bitcoin and hate dollars. And this doesn't go away. This doesn't change. This is the most important thing that you can understand right now about Lightning is that we can move dollars with it. Or we can have somebody spending Canadian dollars or Australian dollars or pounds in their country with a merchant in the United States and instantaneously with final settlement, not 72 hours later, backdoor with a merchant account, the dollars are delivered and they are immediately spendable, movable, usable. At midnight, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, on Thanksgiving Day, on Halloween, on whatever your favorite day is that people close down stuff, immediately. And no one is not going to do this when it becomes immediately apparent that you can. And people are going to build networks and then companies are going to use them because I'm going to cut my merchant fees to 5%. On even half my transactions, like yeah, I'll still take Visa and MasterCard, but I but but on the transactions that use this thingy, I, I'm only gonna pay a half point. Well again, why wouldn't you do that? And nobody has ever given me a good answer to this other than they won't. That's not a good answer, right? Um now I want to talk to you a little bit though about how to get your Bitcoin into lightning form. Like so you're like, I wanna I wanna try this, Jack. Okay, you've convinced me I wanna move some magic internet money around. And I I wanna just do fifty bucks of it and I wanna play with it and I wanna see how it works. And maybe you tip me freaking somebody tip me one Satoshi. I think just to see if it could be done with all of a Satoshi, and apparently it can. But um I wanna see I wanna figure out how to do this. So how do I get my bitcoins in a lightning form? It's like how do I get Bitcoin? That was the last episode. Go go listen to that one. We're not gonna redo that. If you have the Exodus wallet, and it is the wallet that, the software wallet that I recommend the most, and again, from that episode, I recommend using it in combination with a Trezor, uh, hardware wallet, or if you have significant stacks, you actually break it into multiple Trezor hardware wallets, so it's not all in one place for any uh, amount of your stack. But the stuff you have in Exodus, not in the Trezor, that you manage with Exodus. Those are different things, but you have actual Bitcoin in Exodus. All you have to do is go to your Exodus wallet on the mobile. It's only on the mobile for now, the mobile app. And there's four little squares at the bottom. You click those. And I have a video in the last episode that shows you how to do this. And you click it. And then you click on lightning and you click a couple things to set it up. You don't have to know anything. You just say, yes, I understand. And then you say, I want to deposit $50 or a hundred dollars worth of lightning into your lightning wallet on Exodus. So it's like a second wallet for Bitcoin. And then it'll take about 10 minutes for the regular Bitcoin transaction to process. And all of a sudden you have this magic lightning form of uh, of Bitcoin and it's there and you have it and you can send it to your friends. If you're married and you're both into this a little bit, send it back and forth between you and your wife a couple of times, just free or your husband, just figure it out. Just use it, just like, like generate an invoice, put in a dollar amount or a sad amount, a Bitcoin amount, and then scan it and watch it immediately show up. What I'm seeing people do with Lightning that I haven't seen for years, what I used to watch people do when Bitcoin was really cheap, before I was even really involved, they would go out and they would give somebody a little bit of Bitcoin. They'd say, here, download this wallet. And they'd say, "You know, here's 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin. And they would just give it to them. Or here's a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. God, what is that dollar worth today? If somebody gave you a, if somebody do the math for me. If somebody gave you a dollar's worth of Bitcoin in 2012, what's it worth today? That'd be interesting to figure out how many people like lost, lost that little bit of Bitcoin. that was worth a buck when it was given to them. I see people doing that again with Lightning. I find myself doing that. You know, I'll go grab 50 bucks worth when I'm going to an event or something and I'll onboard a few people. Hey, here's five bucks. Well, how do I use it? You're going to have to start, or how do I get it? You're going to have to start using it to get it. Right? Otherwise it's just five bucks. It's like having a $5 bill. You can spend it, but you got to find someone who will take it. And I see that happening, but I see technology being developed like crazy. So Exodus is the easiest way I know. I just heard this on Guy Swan's podcast today. I haven't tried it because I don't personally use Cash App. He said that if you have Cash App, you can withdraw money from Cash App to a lightning invoice. So you can try that as well. Um, Again, if you use Cash App, I, I don't know that. The best way to get Bitcoin and the best way to get Bitcoin in the form of Lightning is to accept it as payment for things that you sell or do. So I've had several people since I started talking about Lightning get in touch with me to buy my membership program and say, can I pay with Bitcoin over Lightning? And I've said, absolutely. Yes, you can send them an invoice and they pay it. And. It's a little bit different with the different wallets. Some of the wallets, you pretty much have to generate an invoice and then send that invoice. It has to be paid within 24 hours. There is a technology, though, that allows you to have a stationary QR code, always the same, that generates its own invoice at the time that it's sent. And the person can put their own amount in. And they also have a technology that allows, and the the QR code works like this, uh, using an an email address. So if you go to if you want to know how to do this instead of trying to put it in today's show, go to tiplightning.com. Tiplightning.com. And yes, it is, again, I, I do ask for tips there, but you do whatever you want to do. Um I think somebody made a a, a major uh, Mike on uh on on our live chat made a pretty big error there. He said one dollar of Bitcoin in twenty twelve is worth three hundred and sixty-six dollars in twenty twenty-two. Was Bitcoin was Bitcoin worth a lot less than a dollar in 2012? I guess maybe if it was the low, low point of 2012, maybe it was. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and, uh, Mike, other Mike says, Jack, the lightning wizard preaching the gospel. I wish I was a lightning wizard, guys. I'm, I'm learning this tech just like you are. This is all new. Tom said it should be more like 4,200 bucks. That sounds right. So if somebody gave away a dollar worth of Bitcoin in 2012, if the person that they gave it to actually kept it, it's worth over $4,000 today. That's pretty badass. And I see people doing that with Lightning again. That excitement coming back because it's easy and it's cheap. And I've I've done it with people that I know that have a business and I'm like, just accept Bitcoin. And I actually want most of those people because they're selling like a hundred dollar membership or something like that. I want them to, you know, start off just taking Bitcoin. But I use Lightning to get them onboard. I'm like, here, download Wallet of Satoshi. Okay. You got download it downloaded? Yeah, let me see it. Okay, put that up there. Boom. Here's five bucks, send. And they're like, shit. And like instantly that green check mark goes and they're like, Oh my God. So it's, a, it's a very exciting time. It's almost like it's, it's like 2011, 2012 all over again in some ways. And that's wonderful. And it's because all this new tech's being built. But my favorite wallets so far, and I've used quite a few of them, my favorite wallet so far, Exodus, because it's the easiest way I know to get my Bitcoin in the lightning form for a fixed fee. And again, it's all explained at tiplightning.com. Wallet of Satoshi, because it is so damn simple. It's an app that, like, there's not even a lot of different things you can do with it. Pretty much send and receive. There's actually a back end where you can buy and sell Bitcoin for cash uh, through, I think, MoonPay or something like that. Though I I did not activate that. But it's a really simple wallet. And again, exactly how to use it is available at tiplightning.com. Breeze. Breeze is one of the more exciting wallets to me. Now there's something you need to know about Breeze. When you first use Breeze and you open it and you try to do anything with it, it's going to seem like, geez, this thing is slow. It is where it synchronizes the first time. Think of it like, think of it like firing up a full node wallet, even though it's not what you're doing, but think of it that way where it takes like a day to sync the blockchain and all that stuff across. It's like that, but it's like 20 minutes instead of all day and then every once in a while you need to open breeze so it can kind of update itself to where things are but breeze is the primary wallet that people are using uh then other mike says so we have co- conflicting results here other mike says $1 in bitcoin in 2012 is $36,000 today not 366. so tom says 4500 mike says 36 grand both could be right one could be based on the highest price of 2012 and one could be based on the lowest but anyway Breeze will take that time to sink. But it's the primary way people right now are using value for value from Adam Curry's value for value network and sending me Satoshis while they listen to my podcast. So I get a few bucks every day in Bitcoin streamed across the value for value network. It ends up in a tip bot account that's on Telegram. And every once in a while, I just hit withdraw and it says send me an invoice for up to this many Satoshis. I generate an invoice on in one of the Lightning wallets, drop it in there, and it sends it to me. And it's one or two seconds. It'll say in flight, in flight, success. And then, boom, the green check mark comes, and I've got that extracted out. To me, it's a very cool way to learn about Lightning without having to run a network or run a node. But the other thing I love about Breeze, what Breeze is doing is integrating other Lightning provider or Lightning vendor apps into their uh, app. So one is called Geyser or Gazer, And it's basically, and we're going to save this for a second to talk about this with the tech, what what Lightning's actually going to eat, like what it's going to take over. But that particular app allows you to do fundraising, right? It allows you to do fundraising. So instead of using um, Kickstarter or GoFundMe, To be able to raise funds for a project or for a movement or for something with an app. Now, guys, if you don't get how cool that is. And and eventually, like, that would probably be able to do things like you can raise funds by making us your beneficiary when you spend money over here. And you get 1% of your spending goes to this cause. Would be another way to do that if you were doing it more of a charitable thing or what have you but to keep things anonymous and instantaneous. And because it's a bare instrument, if I'm sending money to the Canadian truckers across Lightning using an app like that, and it's final settlement instantaneously, and then they can take the money and do what I sent for them to do with it, there's no opportunity for the state to lock it up or seize it. And yeah, there was a lot of Bitcoin that was sent to the Canadian truckers movement, and the government wasn't able to acquire that Bitcoin. It made them very angry and very upset, but they could kind of see it. You didn't hear jack shit about all the money that went to them across the Lightning Network because they have no way to figure out how it happened. So that's what, and if you go into the Breeze wallet and, and and look at the menu, you'll see apps. And there's a ton of different apps inside Breeze. So it's on one level, it's just a Lightning wallet. On another level, it is a podcast listening app because you can subscribe and listen to podcasts on it. And you can actually pay people like me for my content. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. Uh, There's there's clearly somebody that has their stream set to where I make 79 sats all the time from them. If you want to do the math for yourself on that, go ahead. I think it's like three cents. So, you know, basically the the person is tipping me about three cents every time they listen. And it's really intuitive. As long as you have Bitcoin deposited at the bottom while you're listening to a podcast, you just set your rate of stream, how much you want to stream as you listen. And when you're like, this episode sucks, and you hit stop, you stop streaming them. It's streamed by the minute, basically. Or if you're like, this is a great podcast, I want to give Jack 10,000 sats, which I think is about five bucks. I'm not sure, but it's somewhere in that range. You can go boost 10,000 sats, send. And that producer of that content gets that money on the other side of it. That's what Breeze does. And it does a bunch of other cool stuff, too. In fact, many of the people who are building apps – that are with they have their standalone apps but they're also built inside the breeze wallet i'm reaching out to to set up future bitcoin breakout interviews with i i'm going to do a lot on lightning i'm going to try to make bitcoin breakout the bitcoin podcast that talks the most about lightning because bitcoin is great but there's tons of content on it and it's pretty easy to understand and it is conservative and it is locked in a lot to where it is so it's it's it, 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 there, there there's not a lot of new things with Bitcoin Core, but Lightning, Liquid networks, and other things like I'm going to tell you about today, are where all the innovation really lies. And again, we can take risk on a layered solution without risking the underlying asset, and that is very exciting if you really think about it. Next is Blue Wallet. Blue Wallet is probably the wallet that I found the most people who run their own node and want to use something, like they're not going to self-code a wallet or something. They want to use a wallet, but they want to self-custody with that wallet with Lightning on their own node and configure their node to work through their blue wallet. This is the one most people use. And then there's another one called MUN, M-U-U-N, I think is what it is. I don't have that in the show notes, but that's one that seems like a lot of people on Twitter really like as well. So those are all wallets that you can check out. And, again, you can download them all. You can get all the information about how to use this. And, and you can onboard yourself to lightning in about five minutes. If you already have Bitcoin on Exodus and you can learn how to use all of this stuff and it will cost you pennies because you're sending the money to yourself until you decide you want to tip somebody or buy something and just do that. Be empowered. Move it around. Put 50 bucks in your Exodus lightning wallet. Send $10 to wallet of Satoshi. Get the, get the, get blue wallet. Send, send it there. Then send it from Blue Wallet over to Breeze and then send it back to your wallet in Exodus and you might be out of quarter by the time it's all done with. But watch it all happen instantly and start learning. And did I did I say set up a node? Did I say open a channel? Did I say any of that shit? No. I didn't say any of that shit because none of it's necessary. And anybody that tells you it is, I am not an expert on this, but I'm smarter than they are. Because I've been using this for months without running a node. Okay. And everybody that's reached out to me after doing this is like, I I cannot believe how easy this is and how how well this works. All right. So now let's talk about because I think the biggest thing. The the biggest thing that I want people to get about the excitement of, of, of Bitcoin and lightning together and how they play together is what will Bitcoin eat next? So. For years, even when I talked about other cryptocurrencies, and here's the use case for them. here, this is nice that Monero is really private, or Pirate Chain is really private, or that you can build an NFT on Algorand's proof of stake blockchain, like, or you can build a public blockchain using Algorand to do public records with, or something like that. Like, I get those other texts, but what I always said. In every presentation I ever gave on crypto, I had a group of people in front of me or did a podcast, and I went through these other use case scenarios. I would always say, in the end, Bitcoin will probably eat everything. But in that in that statement, I was always talking about crypto. In other words, in the crypto space, that in the end, Bitcoin will be so versatile, do so many things, be so awesome, that you won't need Ethereum. You won't want Ethereum. You won't want Atom or Cosmos. You won't want Algorand or Cardano or any of these other like nine million other shit coins or electric coin or whatever, cannabis coin, sex coin, plot coin. All of those are real, by the way. All these freaking stupid tokens, thousands and thousands of them. Not only would we not need most of them, we may not need any of them. Now that I understand lightning at the level that I do, when I say Bitcoin will eat everything, I mean everything. Everything. One of the things we're going to eat, the obvious one from what I've said already today is payment networks. You have the, what Jack Mahler's from Strike calls the boomer payment network. Like basically three banks involved in every transaction. The merchant's bank, the, the bank of the person spending the money and then the interme- intermediate bank that runs the, 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 uh, the merchant account, all three of them taking a piece, 72 hours for settlement. Complications on cross-border transactions, all of that shit, gone. If you can do it in instant settlement for zero fees, or even for a quarter of a point of fees, then then that's a zero-sum game to do anything but use Lightning in the long term. It's a zero, like people that are doing it now are the ones that are going to get out in front of it. I think that I don't know that Jack Maulers is the next Elon Musk. But I think he's the next Peter Thiel. For those who don't know, Musk and Thiel founded PayPal together. Thiel's really, really freaking rich today. He's not Musk rich, though. Musk knew what to do with the money after he got his hands on it, after the PayPal sale, right? But I think Jack Mahler is at least the next Peter Thiel in the world of billionaires because he's so far ahead of everybody else. He's also very astute. If you listen to there's an episode he just did with Peter McCormack on what Bitcoin did, called Orange Pilling the IMF. That's the International Monetary Fund. Yes, they are the enemy. But if you have the best form of money, eventually everybody's going to use the form of money you have. But he talks about in there, this is really nothing to do with the IMF. He's talking about the competitors that he's going after, like JP Morgan, i.e. Jamie Dimon. And understanding that Jamie Dimon is not going to try to compete with this shit by doing a better job for his customers, but he's going to try to compete in D.C. And what Mahler's built is infrastructure before he built lightning infrastructure was legal infrastructure. When I heard that, I realized this really is the guy that's got this shit figured out. He's prepared from a legal standpoint to stand up to this. And he's being very careful and a little bit slower than people would like in rolling out into new markets because of that. And I think he's your next Peter Thiel. But I think payment networks, Bitcoin, And Lightning, even if it's dollars transacting, eats the payment networks. Okay. The key with this is, remember we talked about equity? You have to have equity on the network for the network to function. Right now, if it took away 2% of the global payments network, you'd need all the Bitcoin on the network to collateralize it. That creates more scarcity. Now you'll never need that because the more of more Bitcoin that locks up, the higher the price goes and the less you need to collateralize things. So I can see a point in the not too distant future where four, five, 6% of Bitcoin is locked up as equity on lightning nodes and a real yield becomes possible from Bitcoin without leverage. Now, does that mean if you start up a little Bitcoin or a little lightning node today, a little lightning node today with a couple hundred bucks of equity inbound and outbound on it, that you're going to be rich? It does not mean that at all. And I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that every time a Satoshi gets locked up, a Satoshi's locked up, whether it's locked up on your Trezor or your BitBox or your Ledger Nano or it's locked up on a profitable node is floating equity that goes back and forth between two sides. It's locked up and it drives cost up. But Bitcoin lightning will eat the payments networks of the world, period. And that's enough. But we already talked about uh, geezer, geyser, however you say it, and fundraising. What happens to GoFundMe? What happens to these networks if they – see, here's the thing. People are like, well, you're saying you're going to put them out of business. Well, probably not. Why wouldn't you, if you're these networks like GoFundMe and like Kickstarters, why wouldn't you adopt this too? Why would? Because all you have to do – you don't have to change anything. All you have to do is start accepting payments through the open payments network that anybody can develop for, anybody can build for. It's being made better – by people in a garage and professors from MIT coding on the same day, making it better. So on one level, you just have that, that more and more of these existing fundraising sites are going to adopt this. But in time, a lot of those sites are not exactly friendly to freedom, are they? They have ridiculous restrictions on them, don't they? Like, What if I wanted to develop a, here's an example of a product. I thought it was a pretty cool product. It's a very old product. But long ago, as I was tinkering with different surplus guns, I it it was about the time that you could buy, I think I bought three Yugoslavian SKSs for like 180 bucks at a gun show. So that's a while ago. And so back then people used Yahoo email groups. Remember those? So I'm like, I wonder if there's a Yahoo email group on, on SKS. It's like, you know, go to Yahoo list server and search for it. I find this freaking great email list server on SKS's. It's got thousands of members. People are sending emails every day to it, pictures, ideas, hacks, ways to clean all the cosmoline out of the wood, all kinds of cool shit. And this dude, I think it was called Tech Sites or something like that, he had a site. That you could put on the back of an SK. You pulled out one of the retaining pins and it basically gave an SKS a site picture like an M1 grand was really cool as shit. What if somebody wanted to develop that today? Let's say it had never been developed. The company's probably out of business. So somebody wants to develop that. You going to go do that on Kickstarter? You going to go do that on the GoFundMe? Now you're not breaking any laws. You you know, it's a part. It doesn't do anything. The only thing you could do with it would be dangerous is, I don't know, put it in a sling, like an old school, like biblical areas or sling and fling it at somebody, right? It's not a firearm. You could sell it on Amazon. I mean, to be blunt, you can sell that product on Amazon. You can't raise money for it on any of these platforms. But you could download an app and set up fundraising and pre-sell on it for lightning now. So fundraising is done. It either adapts or it dies and moves over to this. And this is fundraising for charitable contributions. This is fundraising for getting product off the ground. This is crowdfunding for this idea that people believe in. It's going to eat that. Next, how about content monetization? I already explained to you, you can get the Breeze app right now. You can deposit some Bitcoin onto it as lightning. You can start listening to my podcast on the audio side and you could say I'm going to stream Jack, Jack one sat per minute. So in a 60 minute show, you're going to stream me 60 sats, three cents. Interesting, isn't it? Well, there's a new app called Fountain and I haven't pushed it yet because it's still a little buggy. It's still a little glitchy, but it will let me reverse the streams in a good way because, you know, crossing the streams is bad, but reversing the streams not so much. What if you found out, you know, every episode I listen to of the Survival Podcast will make me 25 sats. Doesn't cost me much to buy your your loyalty, does it? And you don't get a lot of money out of it. But over time, if you're listening to a lot of podcasts every week and it builds up, it's kind of like mining for your attention. So your attention now becomes a way to mine, if you want to think of it that way, Bitcoin in the form of lightning. So that's content monetization in both directions. But why can't this continue? You know, I love Odyssey and what they're doing over there, but this is one of the reasons you don't shitcoin. Right now, the best thing Odyssey could do is integrate value for value into Odyssey on the website and into Odyssey on the app. And it's O D Y S O D Y Y S E E, I think, Odyssey, right? LBC uh, library was what it was originally called. But they have their own uh coin, their own, you know, LBC token or whatever, LBC coin. So they're probably not going to do it. But there are so many places. Where, and I said when they did it, like, oh, they this makes sense because it, they built it themselves. It's on their network. They have control of it. But today we have these solutions being developed. They're going to eat everything because the consumer really wants one thing. That does all things. Think about your smartphone. Have you bought a calculator lately or an adding machine or a, a, a clock, right? A watch. If you have a watch, it's basically a smart watch that works with your phone because whatever you think you need it. I don't wear a watch. I haven't worn a watch since I used to wear a freaking, uh, I had a pretty nice, and I, it's here somewhere in the house. It's not i I'm radium, a pretty nice looking Seiko. You know, a white, white and yellow gold mixed Seiko upper end. I used to wear it as a fashion statement. I don't wear it anymore. It's just a bracelet somebody could steal. I don't need to watch it on a phone. You you, you have an alarm clock? I remember right in the nineties when I got one of my first jobs after moving to Texas. I better go buy a freaking alarm clock, right? You want one thing. When you move to this better monetary network, any rewards that you earn, you're going to want it on this monetary network. Doesn't matter whether you use Cash App or Strike. You can be a fanboy to a brand. But you're going to want to receive your rewards, your cash back for making your payments on time, your points for always using the same cat food, whatever it is. You're going to want it all in one place. So we get into where content monetization goes 100% to this. Or it becomes a dominant player. Let's just put it that way. What about the gig economy? What about the gig economy? There's I can't remember the name. But there's already an app. Inside breeze that basically is attacking this already, but it's, it's only just beginning right now. If you look at something like, um, Grubhub or DoorDash or something like that, my nephew and I were just talking about this. My nephew's also an entrepreneur. He gets this stuff and he's not exactly hurting for money. So it's not that big a deal, but he was talking about how you go and you order some shit. From a website and you have it delivered by Uber Eats or Doordash or whatever, and you look at the price, you're like, "How did I? What? Like th- these five? There was five six dollar items. That's thirty bucks, and there's a the delivery fee of ten bucks. It's forty. I tipped the driver ten bucks. That's fifty. Eighty six fifty. What? How? Where? Where? How about you eliminate that? How about you have people that develop a reputation score through an app, right? With no mothership, it's a quarter point processing fee to use the guy's node that's running it, right? And so you see that Jack's available to pick up your your Del Taco order, your Chipotle order. You make a payment, it immediately splits between me and them. Mine's held in a smart contract until I deliver your product. The vendor gets their money immediately with instant settlement. The second that I show up and hand you the food, and you tip, yes, I, and I, I I say, okay, click your thing. You click received. I get paid instantly as well. You just paid 30 bucks less. The restaurant owner got more money and got it faster. I got more money and got it faster. You got your food from somebody you knew would bring it to you because my reputation score was in there. What the hell do you need DoorDash for after that? Or what you need is DoorDash.app, right? DoorDash.btc or some shit like that. That's what you... Either they migrate to this or they get replaced by this because let's go back to this again. Now you're sitting at home. You want to order 40 wings. I got a place down the road for me. I never order pizza from it because I'm keeping that weight off that I lost all those over these years, right? Boss's Pizza, they make amazing wings. 40 wings cost me like 80 freaking dollars if I use DoorDash. It's a pain in the ass to drive. I don't really want to drive down there, but I will. So now I have a couple choices. I can get my 40 wings delivered to my house and I can be a nice guy and tip the guy that drove here 10 bucks that he actually gets because I value him and I can get it for about 40, $45. Or I can use DoorDash and pay 86 or I can drive my own ass all the way down through rush hour traffic on the time we decided I don't feel like cooking tonight and do it myself. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to drive my own ass down there or I'm going to use the app that saves me 35 bucks. Now I'm the I'm the restaurant. What what do I prefer? Do I prefer that you take a huge cut and my customer pays more, or do I prefer that I get all the money and my customer pays less? So there you go, gig economy. We haven't even talked about like Hip Camp and Airbnb, but that's next. How big is that market? How much Bitcoin has to be collateralized to do that? Um. And then keep this in mind, 80 plus percent of all financial transactions still take place in the real world. They go across an internet because when you go to target, you give the little girl behind the counter in the red shirt, right? And khaki slacks your card and she swipes it. And it goes through the boomer payment network. That all goes across data lines. Now used to be phone lines. That's really data lines. It goes across this data across phone lines is another way to look at it. So, You, that's how that works now. But when you can use an open payment network in the real world and that breeze uh, wallet, I think it's breeze. That's breeze has a point of sale app in it. It's pretty primitive right now, but you, you know, quantity units item number, whatever. So that when you just want to start, but you want to have data for your point of sale system for your Bitcoin transactions, it's there, but we're not far from a point where they bring a box in Point of sale box, plug it in. We actually have some of those already. There'll be somebody making a bunch of money as a commission salesperson going around to businesses saying, let me put you on the open payments networks. And that's 80% of all payments. But how big is Airbnb? How much do you have to take of that? Instead of having like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Airbnb coin. No, you've got lightning. It's a payment system. So it's taking the payments network, but it's also taking the thing on the other side of the payments network at the same time. When you start saying you're going to take over the payments networks, well, then the technology is also going to take over the thing that's being paid for, especially when I think is a service. What about advertising? Think of what I said about content being paid as a content creator, but me being able to reverse the stream and send it back to you. Let's say I'm a new podcaster. I don't have an installed base, a tremendous number of people that already listen to me and support me. And I'm trying to get my podcast off the ground. I can go to Google AdWords, which is one of the things I did when I got started. I I knew Internet marketing really well. So I went and I bought a bunch of keywords for pay-per-click marketing, and I pushed them to my website to a landing page that was designed to convert you to a listener. And I did that, and then I looked at it and said, okay, my conversion sucks, and I made some changes, and I canceled some words I was buying, I decreased some bids, I increased bids on did all that shit, and finally bounced it out, and I started converting listeners. And then when I got enough in that the listeners started doing the the, the viral marketing, I stopped giving them money. I used a couple different services where I paid money to initially acquire an audience. That's part of how I got the show off the ground. It wasn't all word of mouth. A lot of it was word of mouth, but the initial way that I got people in the door was through things like Google Google AdWords or there was a, a, an extension back then called StumbleUpon and it had a preparedness and survival category. So yeah, I bought traffic with that. What if I could just say, hey, you know what? I'll pay you a quarter. I'll pay you a quarter to listen to my podcast. You know, maybe I'll pay you a quarter to listen to my podcast on Fridays or I'll pay you a quarter. Maybe I, when I start Bitcoin Breakout and it's its own feed, maybe that's why I did it. Maybe I pay people a quarter an episode to listen to Bitcoin Breakout for like the first 30, 40 days. Well, I I, I don't have this kind of gambling thing as an advertiser anymore, do I? I I put two hundred dollars in Google. They'll send me the traffic, but maybe nobody listens. No, they look at my site. And go, this guy's got a stupid site. I don't like his site, so I'm not gonna listen. He misspelled the word. He has a typo. So I'm not gonna some shit like that. You want the money? to listen to an episode on Fountain, you got to listen. And maybe you have to listen to the whole thing. Maybe you have to listen to at least 30 minutes. you got to give me a crack. Now, I'm an advertiser, and I'm advertising, you know, I'm trying to build a podcast or a radio show or a TV show or a YouTube channel or whatever it is. What do I want as an advertiser? Which one of those sounds better to you? Guaranteed people listen to you. They have to listen to you to get the money, or you pay a third party the money, to send you traffic that may or may not listen to you or watch you or do whatever. Now think about all the ways that can be leveraged. What if you're getting a new food off the market, food onto the market, and you say, if you buy it and enter this code, we'll send you 50 dollars $50 or $0.50 cents worth of sats. Okay. Do you want to do pay-per-click marketing? Do you want to do paper exposure marketing? Do you want to do a billboard? Or do you want to guarantee that every dime I put into my marketing gets somebody to sample my product? Which one do you want to do? What if you want to run a loyalty program? 1% back. You know not everybody's going to use it, so you can balance it by saying, every sale, I want to deposit 1% over here, and maybe it's in dollars, and it stays in dollars until it's paid out on the rewards side. So since not everybody's going to get 1%, because not every customer is going to use the rewards program, not every customer is going to qualify for it, you're stacking. And maybe once a quarter, the remainder goes into Bitcoin and goes on your balance sheet for your company or for your retirement in Bitcoin while you're paying out. Now, which one of those sounds better as an advertiser? Guys, this shit I'm talking about doing, there ain't a thing here. That's not doable right now. Now, some of it hasn't had the tech developed yet. But none of this is like, well, one day we'll be able to. Anything I've given you right now, there's coders right now that could build this in a few months today. There's nothing to wait for. Other than the tech to catch up and adoption to catch up. Right. And when I say tech, I mean the implementation of what's possible. The possibility is already there. And if you want to know why I I. I just think like Bitcoin cash is a dead horse. This was all the kind of thing that was the one redeeming thing about Bitcoin cash because I hated the people behind Bitcoin cash because they were liars and grifters. Liars and grifters. It's the real Bitcoin. You know what? You want to fork something? Fork your ass off, okay? And then go out and own what you did and market it as, we did this better because we believe in it and see if the world cares. But when you lie, you go directly to war with the thing you forked in the crypto space. I have no use for you. But they had one cool technology, SLP, Simple Ledger Protocol. And all these things that I'm talking about doing right now, you can do with Lightning right now. People said could and would be done with SLP and none of that should happen. It's being done. It's being built right now on Lightning. And it's it's the end of the one thing they had that might have been useful. Because in the end, you got the momentum here. Go back to like 1998, 1999, 2001, early 2000s. You say, man, if I had some money back then, that's pretty Bitcoin. I would have bought me some tech stocks. Like you wanted to buy Apple. You wanted to buy Google. And you wanted to buy Amazon. And you wanted to buy Facebook. And you can hate all four of them. And there's good reason to hate them all. But if you wanted to put your money into that space at that time, that's what you wanted to buy. And guess what? They're all still here. And in each one of their worlds, they are the king. And nothing is surplanting them. As much as I want these alternative social media platforms, and I use them to kick Facebook off the hill, they ain't happening. Because the momentum's there. The momentum's there. That's where Bitcoin is right now. Next. I want to talk about something I just learned about. Not 100% sold yet. The FUD will be even worse here than it is anywhere else because it's so new. But there's a new thing called mini-mints and federated mini-mints. And it's important to understand that all of the transaction side with outside the federated mint thing are blind. And it works sort of like lightning. In fact, it's lightning-enabled or can be lightning-enabled. And if you deposit Bitcoin into these things, you're issued basically, think of it like a certificate for redemption. You can take the Bitcoin back out at any time, but it leverages lightning to move things around. But none of the participants in the Mint Federation know who owns what, which means if the government goes to them and say says, tell us who owns what, there's one legal defense that can be used when the government demands a piece of information that's, there's only one that's air clad, airtight, air clad. You can't, you can't get over it. And that is to be able to legitimately say, I don't have it. And to be able to prove I don't have it. I can't look here. Look, you tell me nothing you can do. I'm sorry. That information's not here. So for instance, there was a wallet provider that was part of the Canadian truckers. Uh, fundraising, and the Canadian government demanded that they give them the customer's information. Now, first of all, this wallet company was a United States company and basically could tell Canada to go F itself anyway. But they wrote a letter. I don't remember who the wallet provider was, but they wrote a letter that basically entered, uh, ended with, and we suggest you do some research on Google as to how non-custodial wallets work. In other words, screw you. We're not going to give you the information because even if we wanted to, we don't have it. We don't know who our customers are. We, I mean, we have a list of email addresses, but that doesn't even associate the email address with who has which address, which, which Bitcoin address. We don't know. We don't hold their keys. We don't want to hold their keys. In fact, we market our service as being non-custodial, meaning we don't have custody. So go screw it. See, and that works because what are you going to do? That's like asking for blood from a stone. You can't get it. It's impossible. I can't give you what I don't have. That's where all this is moving, and that's, I think, where this mini-mints thing is is going. Now, I know there will be people that say you're trusting other people with your money and stuff, and I don't know enough about this to endorse it yet. I endorse Lightning full on. I get how it works, and I always mitigate it with saying you should put the amount into Lightning form to do things you need to do while you need to do them that you would carry around cash in your pocket. If that's a hundred bucks for you, it's a hundred bucks on lightning. If it's a thousand bucks for you, it's a thousand bucks on lights. What you would carry in cash? Cause there's always a risk when you carry cash, but there's advantages to carrying cash. That's how you look at it. Mini mints, I don't know yet. Just heard about them this weekend, um, on, on Twitter. But when I look at it, what I really see and what it's being marketed as is local economies, basically like a local banking system where members are participating in the banking system, maybe for a reward, maybe for a share in what the, the nodes can earn is equity, and you can move money in and out. It's yours. It's like lightning, right? I don't really understand the full difference yet, but geez, all I look at that as a permaculturist, and think of Chapter 14, and I see let's for real. I've always said crypto is the permaculture let's system. Because it lets us have a localized currency that's fungible outside of our economy, so that people will take it inside of our economy. The reason, if like you moved here, let's say I, I got an initiative together and somehow I got enough cash, I bought out all my neighbors and their neighbors and the next level of neighbors. So there were fifty houses around me, and I called it, yeah, mini mints, not the NFT cartoons, right? Yeah, yeah this is nothing to do. This has nothing to do with NFTs at all. This is just a payments network is all it is. But I I get these 50 houses and I kick everybody out and I say, hey, you want to live in the Jack Jack's out back? Right? You can buy a house. Here's all the house. And we move all people in who are permaculture, homesteaders, liberty oriented. We say, hey, 50 families. That's not 50 people. That's 50 families. This is a significant number of people, probably around 250, 300 people. Hey, we have a local economy. I know. Let's have a local exchange uh, form of currency. Do you know what? Everybody is? that's a great idea. You know who's going to want to take it? Nobody. Because the economy itself, as good as it will be, how many tomatoes do you need? And maybe you're growing your own. So I have to be able to spend this local currency that I want to keep as much as I can inside the economy outside the economy in order to be willing to spend it and accept it inside the economy to create that circular, localized economy and stop the entropy of capital leaving. That's the whole purpose. I don't think most people understand that. The purpose of a let system isn't let's subvert the government and not pay taxes. If that's a byproduct, so be it. That's not the purpose. The purpose in permaculture of a local economy running on a local currency with its own banks and own lending institutions. And maybe, not definitely, maybe that's how we get here with this concept of federated mints. The point of that is to stop capital entropy. Entropy is the loss of energy in a system over time. Okay. Now this is how this works. We all move here, but everybody spends their money at the grocery store that's over in Lake Worth. We're already outside of our, we're in a a town that we don't live in. There's already tax dollars just in that alone on the sales tax going to Lake Worth for their local little chunk of sales tax. But then where does the grocery store get the groceries? Most of the produce probably comes from California. So now there's entropy of this localized group of 50 people or 500 families or whatever it is to California from North Central Texas. But when we go buy stuff off the shelves, it's manufactured in China. There's entropy to China. You see how this works. So the more money we can keep here and create basically a monetary import, product and service export localized economy, the stronger the local economy. You want to change the world, you do that. I don't care if most people are still using dollars that are Federal Reserve space credits made by the Federal Reserve. You do that, you change everything. Fix the money, fix the world, as we say in Bitcoin. And eventually, it becomes a Satoshi-based, not a dollar-based economy. It takes time to get there. This is how we get there. And if it's not mini-mints, it's something else. Yeah, k bonks saying in the early 90s, Ithaca Bucks tried that, all barter, Tried to evaluate people's rates, hard to accept. They tried. And that's what it was. Like, you know, it was, it was actually called Ithaca hours, not bucks. And it was a unit of time, which is energy. So that, that's actually pretty innovative. But the doctor was going, I think an hour of a doctor's time is worth more than the hour of a babysitter's time. And it's worth more than the hour of a landscaper's time. But the landscaper's time is worth more than the babysitter's time. You know, anybody that I trust with my kids can be a babysitter. It takes a little bit more effort and cap- capital investment to be a landscaper because you to have the truck, you got to have equipment, et cetera. And it takes a lot of capital investment to become a doctor, spend over 10 years of your life before you can actually practice medicine. And by the way, I'm a general practitioner. I, I, I value my time a lot. I should get paid well for what I do. But my buddy who's a neurosurgeon, there's no doubt that an hour of his time is worth more than mine. So how do we make this work? This would be how you'd make this work. Do you see why I'm so excited about this? Because there's nothing you can tell me that's a problem in economics that this doesn't address. Notice I didn't say solve. I, I think this idea that any competing idea need fix 100% of the problem is stupid. It's it, it's exactly the, the old thing of you know letting perfect be the enemy of the good. All it has to do is be better than what we have. So if I can create a circular local economy that reduces capital entropy out of the economy 10% better than it is right now, well, that's good enough. And so you have something that's 11% better, shut up, okay? If I can create a system that reduces the cost of payment networks from 3% to a quarter of a point and offers instant settlement, Does that solve every problem for every merchant everywhere? No, but it's better than everything that you have. So until you have something better, shut up. This is where we are, not tomorrow. This is where we are now. All This is, again, all of this exists. All of this exists. And I would say, what can you think of? You guys, I've got 70 people here, I guess. In in live chat from a couple of different sources, what can you think of? What else can we do with this? I've already given you payments networks, fundraising, content monetization, gig economy, advertising, and local local economies. I wouldn't call it local currency. It's a way to think of it, but it's really about a local economy. I mean, you could even, like, remember Miami coin, which was a freaking disaster because turns out the mayor of Miami is a member of the WEF and a shit coiner. Too bad. The guy sounded great. That didn't last. But you could have built Miami coin and it would really have not been Miami coin. It would have just been Bitcoin. That's what they said it was. It was a lie. That's why I went to shit. But basically, all you're saying is when you're using Miami coin, you're spending Bitcoin inside the Miami economy. And it ceases being Miami coin, even though it doesn't change in form the minute it moves outside. That would be a way to think. So is there anything you guys, farmer's markets come to mind? That'd be interesting. You you could create your own Economic system for the farmer's market itself. That would be cool. What if every time you bought something at the farmer's market, there was a fund that you could allocate a hundred sats to. And once X amount was in the fund, all of the members of the market, all the people that vend there got to vote on what improvement was made. Like it fixed the parking lot or something like that. That, that would be Freaking epic! You know what? There's nothing that prevents that from being done right now. Nothing that prevents. You know the biggest impediment to more adoption of this is people that sell shit not taking it, which is dumb because you can get dollars. All you need is an open payments QR code, and when you set up your farmers market stand, slap that bitch down. That's all you need. You don't. You don't need any. You need a an account that you can receive into which you can get for free with an app and you need a payment QR code and people can start using it to pay you and you can stop paying fees. If you want Bitcoin, you need to say, I want Bitcoin. Here's my Bitcoin QR code. It's not hard. Again, you can get an app. You can go download Exodus. You don't need a hardware wallet. You don't need any of that shit to get started. And you can say, this is an address. This is a QR code. If you want to, I accept Bitcoin, put it up on your little booth. Put it in the front door of your store, whatever it is. I accept Bitcoin and I accept Bitcoin over lightning. Put those two QR codes up. If nobody buys anything, what are you out? 37 cents in ink to print it? And that is the thing that we need people to do. Once that begins, and it will, then you get more native use of Bitcoin. The other side of this though, like I said, the other side of this is the person that's going to be using it every day and not know it. Some of you are technically astute enough to know that when you got on the internet today, at different various times, you were using the TCP IP protocol, right? Many of you don't know even what it means, or maybe you've kind of heard it and you know, it's a thing and you know that it involves something with computers, but you don't really understand it. Or, you know, there's an, there's an IP address and a Mac address, but you don't know the difference of them. Does it matter? You're not doing any of this shit without those things. And there was a time that no one cared. And if you said, hey, this whole thing, there's this Internet protocol, and then computers are going to have an address, and then access points are going to have an address, and they're all going to talk to each other, you could have even have a name for it. It could have been the 90s by this time. And you could have said it's called the Internet. And people would have said, oh, it's a fad. Because that's where we're at now. That's where we're at. My final thing in my notes today says, you can fight this, but it won't matter. The people that really hate Bitcoin, they think it's going to boil the oceans or whatever. I was listening to Guy Swan again today, and one of his episodes is called Cry Harder. That's all you can do is cry harder. You can't stop it. You can ignore it, but it's going to continue. This is something I think that If you are still a holdout, but yet you listen to these episodes when I do them on Bitcoin, it's time to stop being a holdout. There's people like, man, market crash. That's great. Bear markets are where maximalists are minted, man. I've been through, this is my fourth crypto winner. I had somebody recently, enjoy your crypto winner, asshole. I love crypto winner. I'll tell you the stages of someone becoming a hardened Bitcoin hodler. The first time you have to get through it, you get through the down of the market without selling. You don't sell your shit. You just hold it and you realize, I didn't plan on selling it anyway, so I haven't lost anything. But then the real PhD in it, turning into the OG, is when that sucker's fallen and you're like, buy, 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 buy. Buy all the way, and the more it goes down, you the harder Instead of crying harder, you buy harder. When you get to there, then it, then it's done, and you and you realize like this was always the formula. I've said that Bitcoin's boring, and people say it's not, but it is. Bitcoin's boring because if all you want is wealth from Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, set up a DCA, go get on Swan. I have links in all my episodes on the audio notes. There'll be a link in the video below. If you're watching a live stream about an hour after the video is over, you'll be able to go there. Get on Swan. You can set up where you have an automatic buy and an automatic withdraw. It'll withdraw to your own wallet. And uh, someone clued me in on this. There's a way, and you can read up how to do it on Swan's website, where you basically give them this piece of code. And every time it withdraws to your wallet, it automatically creates a new Bitcoin address on your wallet for you and deposits to your wallet. So your buying's automatic and your withdrawals from the exchange are automatic. Couldn't be more boring. More boring than a 401k plan. 401k plan, you sit down and you think you have choices. There's like three large cap stock funds. Which one do I pick? I don't know. They're freaking all the same. Right? There's three large cap, three mid cap, a bond fund that's freaking garbage. No cash value anymore. Maybe something's called aggressive growth and income or some shit like that, which is basically a large and mid cap mixed together. It's all the same shit, but you think you got prospectuses and shit to look through. It's boring as shit. It's still more exciting than Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. Done. Lightning's exciting. And I hope, I hope you're, you're excited today after hearing all the things that Bitcoin and Lightning can already do. Tom says, I have buys all the way down to 12 K. Somebody's got some limit orders put in there. Uh Yeah, I I know people are gonna think I'm crazy when I say this. I hope so. I hope so. I don't even know. See, that's the other thing too. Like you guys, you got to stop looking at what's the balance of Bitcoin every day. It amazes me. I like Bitcoin went down three percent today. Like, where's your 401k at? They got five times, six times, a hundred times more money in their 401k. They don't know where their freaking mid cap stock fund is at today. They don't know what the ap- appreciated value of their mortgage is today or their house is today. They don't realize that their car that they've owned for three years is worth 35% of what it was when they bought it. They don't know any of that shit. Bitcoin's at 20878 I think it's, man, it's really seemed to catch a bottom at 20 k But it takes, you know what it takes to make us happy, us people that just want to buy more? It takes one more exchange full of a bunch of leveraged Bitcoin. To go bad and have 20, 30 billion dollars have to be dumped to cover the leverage in one day. And that baby's going to drop the price for a week or two. And I'm going to buy more. And I'm not going to buy more because I think it's a short-term drop that will go back up, even though it probably would be, you know, if someone drives it to 16, it's probably right back to 20 and you're lucky if you get a week on that. If it's something like that happens, but we could have a real crypto winner. Who, anybody here remember $3,000 Bitcoin after it touched $20,000 in the last major cycle? Yeah. And it was there. You could buy some there if you, it was there a long time, but it was there. You could buy it if you wanted to. I felt pretty dark for a lot of people. You know how many people held a lot. You know how many people bought when it was that low? They didn't. They weren't hardened yet. This is what hardens me guys. All this technology. This is what has me excited. I hope it has you excited too. That concludes uh, our um our fundamental series. And I don't know what episode 5 is going to be now. It might be Guy Swan because like I said Natalie had Natalie Brunel had to reschedule. We were supposed to have her on on Wednesday. Uh so that means there'll be one Bitcoin breakout this week. We will go back to the regularly scheduled programming for the Survival Podcast starting tomorrow and uh, if you're listening to Bitcoin breakout as its own standalone podcast. That's sometime in the future from this episode. Uh, these are going to be weekly podcasts with that. Let's see about, I've got a few stars here for people asking uh, David says question. I want to ask how much liquidity does lightning need, or will have a full adoption. Maybe it's better asked as what percent of 21 million Bitcoin will be in lightning. I kind of did cover that a little bit, but yeah, I think it's, it's subject to need, but the beauty is that the liquidity creates a yield. And, The yields that have been on Bitcoin right now have been leveraged into trading and and margin and other bullshit. And people basically shorting and longing Bitcoin and shit coins. And so you're the yield (laughs) where lightning yield is real. And it might not be a huge yield, but if you can make three points on your Bitcoin without risking it. Because we will get a much more mature lightning network in the next few years. We have a very good lightning network. We have a great lightning network. But it's going to get better every freaking day. That's what people that are critics don't understand. And so we're going to get into a position where there is some way to basically have recourse. And, and you be able to have some of your Bitcoin on somebody else's node for a yield or on your own node for a yield. And at that point, a lot of people who hodl will maybe take 10% because at first you're not really sure about it, and then put that 10% there. And you'll never see these stupid you know, 8 18% yields, but you might see 2 3%. Because when people say, well, if the fees are that low, how do you get that percent? The same way you make money selling gasoline. How do you make money selling gasoline at a gas station? You sell 1,000 gallons, 10,000 gallons a day. You make pennies on the gallon, but you sell gallons by the tens of thousands of gallons. So if you're constantly moving transactions through that network, even a very tiny fee adds up, and it's a very passive form of income. So I don't know what percentage. Something in my gut just hints around 10% for all of the things that Bitcoin will need to do over the next couple, of three years to uh, to fulfill its destiny, which I think is going to happen. Uh, Liberty Meat Solutions says Cash App also has a debit card, so it's super handy for moving in and out between U.S. dollars and Lightning. You can also send Bitcoin straight from Cash Balance, like on Strike, without pre-buying Bitcoin. I am going to get Cash App and set it up. I've never used Cash App before. I need to know more about this just because of that. DJ DG, DG, DG says, how long do you anticipate it being before we can safely borrow against our Bitcoin to purchase assets? That is a long-term strategy. And I I, Michael Saylor's talked about this. And you have to understand that Michael Saylor's talking to billionaires when he talks about this right now. Or at least significantly upper-end millionaires. So to leverage an asset like Bitcoin without having to shit your ass every five minutes about movements in price and getting liquidated... That kind of stair step strategy needs to be in the neighborhood of like a two to three percent loan to value ratio. So right now, if you have a billion dollars in Bitcoin, if you had a billion dollars of Bitcoin was 40 grand a few months ago, and you borrowed and against it at three percent, this current drop in price to half, now you're leveraged at six percent loan to value. Your creditor doesn't give two shits. You see how that works. But the kind of borrow as a retirement strategy, that's way out. You're going to have to get to a point where the Bitcoin volatility decreases, and we're already seeing that. For all the hype about this this bull market, bear market cycle this time, it's muted compared to the last three. Instead of these wild swings up and 80% drawdown, we're less up and only about at a 60% drawdown. Like I said, maybe it's 70% now. And you, you also have to like the short term drop into the teens unless it repeats itself. To me, it doesn't even count. Right. That's like it's down for too short a period of time to really matter. Right. So next up, Michael V says, how did you say we can send fiat that is delivered in Bitcoin? Um Apparently Cash App does it and Strike does it, Mike. Uh What you do, you take your Strike app. And you deposit some dollars into it or you have some dollars into it and you go to your screen where you would send like if I'm using strike and you're using strike and you would send me 10 bucks for pizza. You put my name in Jack Spirko and that's my name on strike and you just send me 10 bucks like PayPal. That's sending dollars from you to me, but it's going across lightning. That's how it actually works. That's how it moves the equity on the back end. Uh, Or if it went to some other other entity on the open payments network that uses lightning, that's how it would work. But while you're in that same screen, there's a little thing for a QR code up at the top. You tap that QR code, and you either paste in or scan in a Bitcoin address. And dollars leave your Strike account, but Bitcoin gets deposited to that address on the other end. Apparently, Cash App does the same thing. I do have to say something about that. It can take a lot longer for that transaction to settle on Strike because they have a fixed fee. So I think they're using like the cheapest fees on the Bitcoin blockchain to do it when you do it that way because that's not lightning, right? That's a Bitcoin transaction on the other end. That's on chain, but that's how you do it. I don't know how the speed compares with, um, with, with the cash app because I haven't used it. I would say this, if you're, if you're buying Bitcoin for yourself and you just want to pay like the nickel, I think it's a nickel a transaction on it and you just want to pay less money. Who gives a shit if it takes three days before it shows up on your hardware wallet? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Again, we're not talking about $10,000 buys here, guys. But a vendor may not appreciate this. He's accepting Bitcoin. So it may make sense in strike if you want the standard speed of a Bitcoin transaction at 10 minutes or less to go ahead and do the trade and then send the Bitcoin as Bitcoin. Um, true story says Exodus wallet deposit costs just now in the past few months trying $10 is 7.5%, and the max they'll let me deposit for my Bitcoin account is $128, costing 0.9%. Not a penny, so I must be being penalized. I don't think you're being penalized. Um, I don't know why that's the case. It may have to do with how much Bitcoin you're holding. Uh, mine would let me do up to $1,000. And I do have the, – there is not a percentage fee. There is a fixed fee. And I have it on tip lightning. So it works out based on how much you're moving. It's a dollar and 19 cents. So maybe you just don't have enough Bitcoin that they'll let you move more than the $128. Maybe you have 200 bucks worth of Bitcoin and they only let you move a certain percentage of that Bitcoin. But this is how I worked out the numbers on tip lightning. I'm reading right here from when I did all this math. At the time of this writing, that fee is a dollar 19 USD. So the more you move, the lower the percent move $100 and your fee is effectively a 1.19%. Move 50 the fee is 2.38%, move 200 and your fee is effectively 0.59%. So that's how Exodus is monetizing this service moving into Lightning. It is not the cheapest way to do things, it's just the easiest way to do things and I'm trying to start people out using the easiest way to do things. And uh again, the best thing you can do, the best thing you can do is earn payments in Bitcoin or Lightning to begin with? Um, K Bonk here saying you can borrow now, BlockFi, Celsius, etc. Don't do it. I wouldn't do it. The interest rates are too high, and Celsius is about to go broke, just for an example. Anyway, I think that wraps things up for today. I do want to let you guys know that you can always support my show and the work that we do. You can tip. You can on, on tiplightning.com. You can listen to me on Breeze and stream me Sats. You can do uh, uh, super chats here on YouTube. There's lots of ways you can do it. You can join my membership brigade uh, and what have you. But one of the coolest, easiest, and cheapest ways is to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Every day at tspaz.com, I feature an item of the day. And I want to show you today's item of the day. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It has nothing to do with cri- cryptocurrency. It has to do with hard times, really hard times. This is one of my favorite books of all time, but I don't own a copy anymore. How could you have a favorite book and you don't own a copy? Well notice I said anymore. Um this book was so amazing to me that I read it twice and with then with my memory for things like that, I decided that it was uh something that needed to be passed on. So at one of my workshops recently, I I gave it away to a student. I basically said, anybody at once, and I had a stack of books. These are all books I've read to the point where I don't need to read them again, and they're hard copy books, so they take up space, so anybody can take any book they want. I, this is one of the books I gave away. It's called Ersatz and the Confederacy. And Ursat is a replacement, and generally an inferior one, like using chicory root that's been roasted as a replacement for coffee. And what it's about is... When the Civil War started, the North and the South both thought, quite stupidly, by the way, it would be a very short war. And the North thought we will just overwhelm the South with our military force and take over and kick ass. And the South was like, screw you, that's not happening. And uh the South was right about that. It, it was a five-year war, basically. And so what the North said is, well, we have control of most of the rail system. We have this newfangled telegraph thing so we can get information around faster than they can. And we have naval superiority. So we will choke them from supplies and we will starve them until we win the war. In fact, when the Confederates made a major push into Union territory like the Battle of Gettysburg and stuff like that, it was because they knew that the time was running out and they had to take a shot at it. And there's actually a place in Gettysburg. I've been to Gettysburg and and toured the battlefields and stuff. There's a place they call the high tide line of the South. And it was the furthest point the South ever advanced into Northern Territory. And from that point, it was a beat down in the other direction all the way, a bloody horrible war. But in many ways, civilians suffered harder in that war, especially in the South, than the soldiers did. Because the soldiers had to be supplied. So whatever was available had to go to the military. That's how it always is in war. So there's, there's an explanation in here, for instance, that during World War II, you might ask for a soup bone for the dog for free from the butcher, but you really were going to go home and make soup for your family. You didn't want to admit it because it was hard times and there were rations and people were doing without and your, you know, your husband or your, 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 your son was overseas and their money was much less in income because they were working for the government at a lower pay and they'd been drafted or whatever. But in the in the Confederacy during this period of time, it was common for butchers to hang rats in the window for sale for meat, if one was available. I learned about things like one of the staple food crops that remained available during kind of the scorched earth policy of the north invading the south was cow peas. Black eyed peas, call them what you want to crowder peas, etc. Right. Pink eyed peas, purple hull peas, those things, because. When the Union armies invaded and they looked at a field full of them, they didn't know what they were, so they didn't burn those fields. They thought it was just weeds or some shit, so they let it go, and they didn't steal it for themselves either. It is a fascinating book, and I think that it's valuable as a historical text. I think it is valuable as getting into the concept of, hey, here's all the things that you can do when things are as bad as they can get from shit hitting the fan for your whole country. Because there's never been a time here in the United States since the founding of the United States, since the Articles of Confederation, let alone the, uh, the Constitution, that things hit the fan worse for the people that lived here than the American Civil War. It's never been worse. The biggest thing I think you get out of this book, though, guys, mindset. If you read about people getting through things that are this tough and how they did it, it helps toughen you up mentally so you know you can get through them too. And you can find it today at the survivalpodcast.com or at tspaz.com. Thank you to everyone that tuned in today. This went a lot longer than I planned, but there's just a lot exciting going on with a lightning network and Bitcoin. I hope this fundamental series has you excited about Bitcoin and has a I don't care that you know everything Bitcoin. Do you understand everything? Just a better fundamental understanding. And what I want to finish with is somebody sent me an email recently, and we'll probably address this in a couple of ways with Bitcoin Breakout. But I was so proud to get this email. And I was proud for this man because of his teenage son. His teenage son had read or listened to The Richest Man in Babylon. I think that's due to my evil influence. And they're talking to each other, the son and the father, about buying Bitcoin. So the teenage son comes to the father. And he says, Dad? You know the rule in Richest Man in Babylon? Because Jack says we should invest in Bitcoin, and he also says we should read Richest Man in Babylon. Well, there's a discrepancy here. In Richest Man in Babylon, it says you shouldn't invest in things that you do not understand. So how well do you need to understand Bitcoin before you invest in it? So give that kid a pat on the back and a hug from Uncle Jack and tell him that I'm proud of him. I mean, that's, yeah. Hell yeah. I hope that... If you listen to the four-part fundamental series, even if you have to do it a couple times, that you feel comfortable enough? You know what? A few hundred dollars, thousand bucks. I think that's relative to your risk tolerance, your income level, your net worth. But if that's all you know, should you go out and buy a half million dollars worth of Bitcoin? Yeah, probably work out long term, but I wouldn't say you should. No. No. I think that the journey is commensurate with the experience, is commensurate with the knowledge, is commensurate with the investment. So I think this is something that you ease into over time. You become more and more comfortable with it. That's what I'm hoping Bitcoin Breakout does for a lot of you guys. And we can keep exploring this, this really cool new technology. Thank you, guys. I'll catch you tomorrow. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out?